By God's grace, Beth and myself and our son JD plan to be off the island Monday to Friday this new week. We're going to visit Beth's uh, 88-year-old dad in Anniston, Alabama, and trust that God is going to give us safety there and back, but more importantly, a, a meaningful time with Dad Wisenhunt. He's been pastoring for over 60 years. He still preaches every Sunday at the Senior Center there in Anniston, and he loves the Word of God, and he loves the people of God. He's a prayer warrior. Please pray for our trip. There's a natural break in the book of Romans between the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. This is because Romans chapters 1 through 11 teach doctrine, and Romans 12 through 16 teach duty. And so I'm taking advantage of this natural break in the material in the book of Romans to have a short three-week series. I'm calling the series Things That We Can Give Back to God, and Gifts You Can Give Back to God, rather. Three sermons. Today's sermon is on the gift of money, which we can give back to God. Next Sunday's sermon, Lord willing, will be on God's gift of non-money items that we can give back to him. Things like our minds, our strength, our time, our talents, our assets, and our spiritual gifts. And then God willing, in two Sundays down the road on March the 6th, we're going to consider some common questions that Christians have about grace giving. So that's the plan. The questions you might have dressed on that third sermon, should we tithe 10%? Do I give before or after paying my bills? Should I give to Christian ministries other than Calvary Bible Church? What if I'm unemployed or retired or on a pension? What does God even want with my money? And what is a faith promise? These are some of the questions, God willing, I'll seek to take you to the Bible to answer on March the 6th. So that's the plan, three sermons on what we can give back to God. Let's pray again before we look into the word. Father, all that we can possibly learn about giving that pleases you comes from your giving and from your son's giving and from your word. Teach us about giving money today. Teach us about giving money back to you in the next few minutes. Melt any resistance or closed-heartedness. Open us, make us teachable in mind and heart. Grant to us faith to obey you in what you are purposing and willing for us to do when it comes to giving back the gift of money which you have first given to us. Father, be clear. Father, be first. Father, be obeyed in this assembly. We ask this in the name of and for the sake of the Savior who gave his all for us. Amen. You know, money matters a great deal to our God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Which reminds me of the church that was having a baptism in the sea. And one of the men who waded out to being about knee-deep in preparation to be baptized said, oh, I better take out my wallet. It's in my pocket. To which the preacher said, no, come right in. We already have enough unbaptized wallets in the assembly. Money matters a great deal to God. Did you know that? Money is the main subject of nearly one half of the parables which Jesus told. Did you know that one in every seven New Testament verses deals with money? 
Did you know that the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money? 15% of everything that Jesus ever taught was on the topics of money and possessions. And that that 15% is more than what the Lord taught about heaven and hell combined. Wouldn't you agree that money matters a great deal to our God? Money is a super important issue to God, and it's not because he needs money. God is not a beggar. Money is a super important concept to God, not because he needs money, but because of something else. What would that be? God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. God owns all the natural resources, the fish, the gold, the silver, the oil, the natural gases, the lumber. God owns it all. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it's put this way. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And so, friends, God's balance sheet is very healthy and very immense. But the money which he gives to all of us is of concern to God, the giver. Why would that be? Money really matters because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about money and how we handle money. Let me say that again. It ma- money matters to God, not because he's a pauper, not because he's a beggar, but because he understands that there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think of money and how we handle money. Jesus taught, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus warned, you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is money and the things that money will buy. Jesus says you can't serve both. And so, brothers and sisters, apparently there is a strong link between our spiritual lives and money. Years ago, it was Billy Graham who made this surprising statement, show me a Christian's checkbook and I'll show you his love for Christ. That's true. We might say nowadays, show me a believer's e-bank statement and I'll show you her love for Christ. You see, how we view and how we spend money affects how much we love and trust God who gives us the money. Money matters a great deal to the Lord. Let me make the observation again. Money matters to God. Consider this. Paul, under inspiration, taught, Godliness with contentment is great gain, And the same Paul, under the same inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, warned, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Money is not a root of all sorts of evil. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And so again, I don't think I can overstate it, in the mind of God, which is the only mind that matters, there's a hookup between our spiritual health and how we view and how we spend money. Do you remember Zacchaeus? who was up in the tree watching for Jesus to come by. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember him? Well, he was crooked. He was as crooked as a dog's back leg. 
He was a crooked tax collector, and he got saved. And the first thing that Zacchaeus offered to do was to give half of his possessions to the poor and then to pay back those he had financially defrauded four times what he had defrauded them. Interesting. It's also interesting that the Lord Jesus didn't say to him, don't worry about doing that, little man. You're forgiven. Spiritual business is one thing, but banking is another. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, the new convert, I'm not concerned with your money matters. No, he didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Instead, Jesus did say, today, salvation has come to this house. Apparently, it was repentance about money sins which proved Zacchaeus' saving faith in Christ to be real. Did you hear me? It was repentance about money sins which proved Zacchaeus' faith in Jesus to be saving real faith. That's interesting. Of course, God knows that how closely I follow Jesus will depend on how I choose to spend money. God knows that for each of you. That's why God has said so much about money in his word. Let me put it this way. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And money either brings on heart disease or heart health. The heart of the matter is the heart, and money either brings on heart disease or heart health. Now, this morning, there's only one verse I want to take us to. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. It is packed full of divine instruction about giving money back to God. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2. Listen to the word of God. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper that no collections be made when I come. There were a bunch of Christians in an ancient church at Corinth, and they all had some money. Probably in that church, each believer typically did not have a lot of money. But there were possibly a small minority of those believers who had a greater amount of money than the rest. And that way, I guess that the ancient church at Corinth was like Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, today. All of us with some money, most of us with a modest amount of money, and the minority with a lot of money. Now, once again, let's look at what was written to all those believers in Corinth, and by extension, what is written to all of us in Calvary Bible Church this morning. Again, verse 2. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save, as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. Now, watch this. Uh, Don't doze off in sleep, which reminds me, In seminary, in a systematic theology class, right after lunch, mind you, the guys in seminary, Dallas Seminary, had families and children and full-time jobs, plus they studied at the seminary. After lunch was deadly. We all had a full stomach, and the lecturer was an excellent theologian, but he had a monotone, drone voice. And so in the the middle of a lecture one time, this fellow fell fast asleep, and his neighbor elbowed him in the ribs and said, He just called on you to pray. 
So this fellow stood up in a lecture theater of about 100 people and said, let us pray. And so the prof bowed in prayer, of course. And after the amen, the guy knew he'd been had because all the people around him in the theater were looking at him like this. The prof was so gracious, he said, we need to pray a whole lot more in this class than we have been. Don't, don't fall asleep on me here. If a believer in the Corinthian church had any money at all, verse 2 was applicable to him or her. Verse 2 was not just for believers who had quite a bit of money. Verse 2 was, and verse still, verse 2 still is, for every believer in any assembly who has even one dollar. Even one dollar. We would say that verse 2, our verse for today, is for every believer who has even one dollar. Really? Pastor, really? Yeah, really. Money is a gift from God, and we all can give back to him, provided we have even one dollar. There's a lady I know that was very poor financially, very rich spiritually. And she was in her little Baptist church in a suburb of Toronto. Her husband had died. She was on a very tight shoestring budget, and some missionaries with Child Evangelism Fellowship came to her little Baptist church one Sunday night, and they presented their work that they were expecting to do to reach children for Christ, and they asked for people to prayerfully consider giving a one-time gift that night or to pledge something each month toward their ministry. And this lady told me that she was in the pew fighting with the Holy Spirit, and it went something like this, I want you to give a dollar a month. But Lord, a dollar a month would be not even worth the bookkeeping headache, the administrative charge to process it. I want you to pledge a dollar a month. But Lord, I don't have a lot of dollars. I would just like you to pledge one dollar a month. So in obedience, when the offering plate went by, she filled out a card with her name, address, and phone number, and she said one dollar per month in obedience to God, and she put it on the collection plate. Years later, that particular couple went to Italy to share the love and message of salvation with Italian children. They came back on a furlough to that little Baptist church, and they walked up to this lady and said, do you remember when I was here, we were here looking for prayer and financial support? Yes. Did you know that you were the only person who gave anything that night when you pledged $1 a month? She said, no, I didn't know that. Did you know that before that meeting, my wife and I were so discouraged about how our fundraising was going that we prayed and we said, Lord, if one person gives us anything, we'll continue. But if nobody gives us anything, we'll take it as from you that we should not go to Italy. And based on your $1 a month promise, we went forward and God raised up the money eventually. And now we're area directors for Child Evangelism Fellowship in Italy. If you have $1... This verse for today is for you. Which reminds me of the Mint, where they make money. They had a reunion. The hundreds met with the twenties and met with the ones. And the hundreds, they were talking to each other. They gathered together and they were saying, what kind of, what's it been for you? And the one hundred said, oh, it's been great. French Riviera. The other one said, yeah, me too. Diamond rings. Third one, yeah, me too. Fine, tailor-made suits, gourmet food. 
That was the hundreds. The 20s all got together in a group, and they were talking. How's life been for you since you were minted? Oh, excellent. Shoes for children, groceries, gasoline for cars, rent. It's been a great life. And then they noticed the ones were all together. And they said to each other, how's life been for you? And they said, boring. Church, 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 church. That's just theory. I know that's not how it is in this fine church. Church, 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 church. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. And so to what does this verse call us? In the matter of giving money back to God, to what does this verse call each and every one of us if we have even one dollar? It calls us to five things. We are called to give money back to God on Sundays. We are called to give money back to God every Sunday. We are called to give money back to God without excusing ourselves from giving. We are called to give money back to God having first saved it. And last, we are called to give money back to God using some proportion as the measure. Let's take these one at a time. The first point in your outlines, we are to give money back to God on Sundays. We are to give money back to God on Sundays. I see that in the very first part of verse 2. On the first day, on the first day, one of the first things which Jesus' followers did after his resurrection and ascension was to switch the public day of assembly and worship from the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, to the first day of the week, Sunday. They did this for a very good reason. They did this to mark the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. Those first believers in Jesus called their Sunday the day to worship the Lord's day. And they made that the day to mark the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead every single week. And this change from Saturday to Sunday was a regular and a practical reminder that the Lord Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead on the first day, the Sunday of the week. And so here in 1 Corinthians 6, Two, we're commanded to give money back to the Lord on Sundays. Dr. Charles Ryrie, one of the true heroes of my walk with God, written so many good books, went to be with Christ this past week. He was 90 years old. I had this sermon written before he passed away. It's just emblematic of how much his teaching has impacted my life and always will. Dr. Charles Ryrie wrote in his little helpful book, Balancing the Christian Life, and I quote, Giving is not to be an erratic business. The laying by in private stores should be done on Sunday. The Lord's Day is appointed day for keeping accounts, determining proportions, and laying by in store. The scriptures do not say much about what the Christian should or shouldn't do on Sunday, except that he should assemble with other believers, Hebrews 10.25, and do his giving, 1 Corinthians 16.2. Although one need not become ritualistic about this matter of caring for our giving to the Lord on Sunday, neither should it be treated lightly. Here is a God-given command which we would all do well to heed. End of quote from Dr. Ryrie. And so, friends, we are to give back to God some of the money which he has given to us on Sundays. Here's the deal. <laughs> I stand before you this morning because I have clean teeth in a dirty SUV. 
I have clean teeth because I have an appointed time to brush my teeth, and I don't have a clean SUV this morning because I don't have an appointed time to get it washed. We need a set day to give back to God the money he has given to us, and God says, make a Sunday. On to point two. We are to give money back to God every Sunday. We are to give money back to God every Sunday. Is this not what it says in verse 2? On the first day of every week, we are to give back to God every Sunday. Apparently, it is clear that God wants us to discipline ourselves so that we save and we spend in such a way that our giving back to him happens each and every Sunday without miss. This verse is commanding us to give money back to God every Sunday in a year. Stay with me. Every Sunday in a year, 52 Sundays a year. Is that not the normal interpretation of this verse? On the first day of every week. Now, you may be saying, I get paid monthly. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that. Fine. Take the proportion of your check that you're going to give back to God, which is between you and God, and divide that whole monthly portion of giving back to the Lord into four and give one-fourth of that amount each Sunday. Or you work five, there's five Sundays in the month, take your monthly income, divide it by five, and give one-fifth of that amount every Sunday in a month that has five Sundays. You say, Pastor, that makes a lot more work for me. Yes, it does. You say, Pastor, I like giving once a month. Yes, it is more work for you. It's more planning for you. It's more self-control for you not to spend the Lord's money that's set aside in your house. After all, didn't God clearly say, on the first day of every week, he must have a reason for commanding that. God must have a reason for commanding that we give back to him money every single Sunday. God didn't say on the first day of payday weeks. God did say on the first day of every week. So why? Why was the Lord command no miss every Sunday giving of money back to him? I think because when we discipline ourselves to give every Sunday, we have to plan ahead. We have to make an effort. We have to think about giving money back in a very intentional way. I think that God commands that we would give back to him the money, part of the money he's trusted to our care every Sunday, because in so doing, we commit ourselves to giving money back to God in a no-miss pattern. And it takes planning, as I'm saying. It takes determination. It takes self-discipline. But guess what? The result of that is that giving money back to God becomes a good and a godly habit. When we obey and give money back to God every Sunday, giving money back to God becomes an established habit of the heart. An established habit of the heart, of the holy heart. It becomes an established habit of the holy heart. But sometimes you might say, I'm sick, and I can't get out on a Sunday. Yes? I'd encourage you to send your offering in a privacy envelope with a family member or a friend if you can do that. 
What about if I go off the island, pastor, on business of vacation? I'd suggest you come by the church office ahead of your trip and drop off your offering in a privacy envelope. And remember that those offerings can be post-dated checks. You see, giving money back to God is like exercising. If it doesn't get done regularly, often it doesn't get done. I challenge you, my beloved family in the Lord Jesus, I challenge you to start making a money-giving-back habit starting today. Cultivate a money-giving-back habit starting today. So far, we've seen we've seen we're to give money back to God on Sundays. We're to give money back to God every Sunday. On we go to the third point from this one verse. We are to give money back to God without excusing ourselves from giving. Without excusing ourselves from giving. See it there in verse 2? On the first day of every week, let each one, let each one of you, let each one of you. We are not to excuse ourselves in the matter of giving money back to God. Apparently, no believer should excuse him or herself from giving money back to the Lord. And I know what you may be thinking. Surely God doesn't expect someone to give their last money back to him on a Sunday, pastor? There's precedent. Jesus told the story of a very poor widow who did not excuse herself from giving. She was a woman who gave back to God her very last two coins to live on. This is what Jesus said about it in Luke 21, 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put more in than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put all that she had to live on. If there ever was a person who could have been viewed as not needing to give any money back to God, it would have been this woman with two little coins, all she had. If there ever was a person who could have found reason for herself to excuse herself from giving money that day on that Sabbath, it would have been this lady. But she gave. She sacrificed. And how did Jesus frame the gift she gave? Did Jesus say that such last coins giving was a bad or a good thing? Jesus held up her giving as a model to others to prompt them to sacrifice more than they had been when it came to giving their money back to God. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you by the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Did you catch it? There were churches in Macedonia who were in deep poverty. They were financially hurting. They barely had enough money. And yet, these churches sacrificially gave money back to the Lord. And will you notice, from 2 Corinthians 8 to, will you notice that these Financially poor believers gave money back to the Lord with an abundance of joy and with a wealth of liberality. They didn't give until it hurt. They gave until it made them happy. 
Now, the widows and the coins and the churches in Macedonia who were in deep poverty lived out 1 Corinthians 16 too. On the first day of every week, let each one of you. Now, I know that it's easy for all of us, me included, to quickly excuse ourselves from giving money back to God. I know that's easy. It's like the little boy who was given $2 and went to church. The $2, $1 was to be for the offering, and $1 was to be for candy after church. And as he was walking to church, there was a sewer grate in the road, and he inadvertently dropped his dollar down the hole, and he knew he couldn't get it back. He had a dilemma. And so he said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry that your dollar went down the drain. (laughs) It is so easy. (laughs) It is so easy for us to excuse ourselves from giving. Okay, right now, I know how it is. I've sat in pews before I was in pulpits. I understand what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, that's good for Joe Schmo." This truth is really good for Joe Schmo. And this church, this, this church truth is really good to Susie Q. She has more money than me. So I'm going to put this satellite dish in my head. And as this truth comes to me, I'm just going to bounce it over to Joe Schmo. And I'm going to bounce it over to Susie Q. Because I don't want it to really affect me. That's how happens oftentimes. You know, when we bounce a truth about money and giving money back to God onto Joe Schmo, assuming that Joe Schmo is richer than we are, guess what? Who's really rich anyway? Who is really rich anyway? I think one of our problems, church, is we have a faulty definition of what it means to be materially rich. We tend to look at people who we think have more money than us, and we label them rich and ourselves less than rich. But the reality, church, is much different. Did you know that? If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world? Did you know that if you have $2,200 of assets of any kind, you are in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest? Did you know that if you have money in the bank, your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy? Did you know that if you made $1,500 last year, you're in the top 20% of the world's income earners? Did you know if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or an apartment, and have any reasonable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. And so who's rich anyway? Who's rich anyway? I just wonder. I just wonder what would happen if not one person who calls Calvary Bible Church their church. I wonder what would happen if not even one of us would excuse ourselves from giving money back to God through this ministry. I just wonder. I can't wait to see. So let's review. So far in 1 Corinthians 16.2, it's packed full of truth about giving money back to God. It's a verse that is teaching us to give money back to the Lord. And more specifically, we've seen that we're to give our money back to the Lord on Sundays, 
every Sunday without excusing ourselves from giving. On to the fourth point. The fourth point is that we are to give our money back to God having first saved it. We are to give our money back to God having first saved it. Do you see it there in verse 2? On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save. Putting aside means to save money. It means to systematically save money. Now, there are lots of ways that you and I can save and put aside money to give back to God on Sundays. One way is an envelope system. I did this for the first five years of our marriage. I had envelopes in my desk drawer. I put cash from my income for rent in one. I put cash from my income for food in another. I put cash from my income in, a, in an envelope that said, Lord. And I never touched the money in the envelope that said, Lord, because that was the Lord's. I had set it aside, and I'd saved it to give back on Sundays. That's one way you can do it. Another way you can do it is start a separate bank checking account just for giving to the Lord. Open a checking account at any bank, and the purpose of the deposits in that account is strictly to give back to God. Or, those of us who have more computer savvy, you could create an Excel spreadsheet on the computer and partition off the money you've had given to you by God on an Excel spreadsheet. Or, if you're more old school, you could do a ledger accounting book and keep track of the money that's in your hands, going through your hands. What part of it have you decided before God to give back to the Lord on Sundays, and what part is for you're living and saving. But whatever strategy you use, we need to create a fund of money to be given back to God. Because when we have that fund of money in place for money to give back to God, we can give back to God in a structured way. We won't come to a Sunday and say, oh, there's nothing in the account. When we have a, a set-apart, set-aside, saved a fund of money to give back to the Lord, we also can give in a spontaneous way. You ever had it happen that someone comes to you and they have a legitimate need and you say, I have no money to give you? If you have a segregated account that's money to give back to the Lord and you give a certain percentage of that to the local church and maybe an unallocated percentage of that account is for whoever God brings your way that needs money and you believe they need it, say, sure, I can give you a little money. So when we have a separate fund that we've created, that we've set aside and saved money in to give expressly back to the Lord in a structured way, Sunday by Sunday, and in a spontaneous way, beyond that as needs arise, we're in good shape. Review. So far we've seen a lot in one verse, 1 Corinthians 16.2. We've seen that we're to be giving money back to God on Sundays, every Sunday, without excusing ourselves from giving and having first saved it. But there's one more truth. We are to give money back to God using some proportion as the measure. We're to give money back to God using some proportion as the measure. It says in the verse, On the first day of every week, let each of you put aside and save as he may prosper. We are to give money back to God using some proportion as the measure. The New Testament does not peg a certain percentage that believers should give back to God. The New Testament does, however, teach that some percentage should be used for we are to give money back to God as he prospers us. So let me take 10% as an example. 10% of a very little money is a very little amount. 10% of a bigger amount of money is a bigger amount. 
as God prospers us. God wants us to proportionally give money back to him because he gives us proportionally. Have you ever noticed that giving out of something is different than giving according to something? Giving out of something is different than giving according to something. I want you to imagine that a billionaire came down to Paradise Island to stay in that expensive suite in Atlantis that arches the two towers. It's a quarter of a million dollar a night to stay there. I want you to imagine that a billionaire came to stay at Atlantis in that suite and he wandered into our fellowship and into our assembly this morning. If that billionaire wrote out a check to the Ministry of Calvary Bible Church for $1,000, that would be a gift out of his billions. On the other hand, if that billionaire wrote a half-billion-dollar check to this ministry, then he would be giving according to his billions. God has given us not out of his riches in Christ. God has given to us according to his riches in Christ. God didn't skimp. God gave us according to his wealth when he gave us his very best, his one and only son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because God gives to us according to his wealth, we should give money back to God according to the money which he has first given to us. That is, we should give money back to God proportionally. One more thing. As God prospers us more and more, the percentage which we choose to give back to him probably should also increase. You've heard of R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau invented modern land excavation equipment. He was a multi, multi-billionaire. R.G. Letourneau of Texas has a college in his name, Christian college in his name. R.G. Letourneau got to the point with his wealth through his land-moving excavation equipment inventions that he couldn't possibly spend all the money he was making on himself or even things that he thought of doing. And so he did a reverse tithe. R.G. Letourneau, when he got to a certain threshold of wealth, gave 90% to the Lord through his church and other ministries and kept 10% for himself. We should give proportionately to the Lord. For the Christian who is deeply in love with Jesus Christ, having increased income does not necessarily mean increasing spending but it does necessarily mean increased giving. Some years back, Dr. John MacArthur, one of my favorites, the author of all kinds of books, I'm sure most of you are aware of Dr. John MacArthur, Sun Valley, California, Grace Community Church. Some years ago, after Dr. MacArthur was written his study Bible and all these other books that were on the market as wild bestsellers, the leaders of his church sat down with him and said, Pastor MacArthur, we want to propose to you, and they put on the table a very large financial salary Uh, increase. Dr. MacArthur looked at the proposal with all the huge amount of money that they were proposing they would give him on top of what he's already been earning, and he said, men, I don't need this. And they said, we know you don't need this, Dr. MacArthur. We all want to see what you'll do with this. We know you don't need this, but we want to see what you'll do with this. We are to give back to the Lord proportionately. As I said earlier, there is not a percentage stated in the New Testament. That's between you and the Lord. But you have to set a percentage between you and the Lord. I will never know what anybody gives to this church knowingly. I don't want to know. 
It's between you all and the Lord. I don't not want to know what anybody gives. But the Lord wants to know what you'll give because he's going to prompt you to give in a certain percentage that he and you come up with. And he wants you to be faithful to that. He wants you to give that money on Sundays. He wants you to give that money every Sunday. He wants you not to excuse yourself from giving that money. He wants you to have first saved that money so you could give it. And he wants you to give that money according to some proportion that he and you come up with. And so, my dear church family, it's not that we have to give money back to God. It's that we get to. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, your word is so practical. Deliver us, Lord, from any thoughts we might have that this is a message for somebody else. But, Lord, may we receive it. The man in the pulpit, the man on the platform, and the people in the pew. We can't wait to see what you'll do, Lord, as we give in a New Testament way to this church. Be honored and glorified in all of, all of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.